Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perish even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that, that had now been told um, you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Cool. Uh, let's, let's start by praying. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life to us. Lord, may you bring those words to life in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, today is our final instalment of our True Worshippers mini-series. We've had a, a couple of weeks off, um, but today we're back to finish it off. And um, True Worshippers, just to remind you that the purpose of this series isn't necessarily to find out or try and make sure our, our worship is genuine and, and authentic, although that is really important. The purpose of true worshippers is to consider what type of worship that God desires from his people. What does that look like? Uh, in our first week, we looked at um, worshipping in spirit and in truth, and that true worship embraces the Holy Spirit. And the more we do that, the deeper our worship goes. Um, and that true worship is Christ-centred. It is focused on Jesus. And that everyone can encounter God and experience his presence. In the second week, we had Fabian preach to us, and we looked at Romans 12, and we saw that our whole lives can be an offering of worship. And that humble service in love to those around us is a life of true worship in action. So today, our final week, what are we going to be looking at? Well, we're going to look at true worship and what that looks like when life gets hard. Worship in the suffering. What does it look like to worship when we're in the wilderness? How do we worship when we feel overwhelmed by the problems of life? The people uh, from the reading that we've just had, the people that Peter was writing to, were not having the easiest of times. In fact, life was hard and they faced persecution. 
Yet remarkably, they were able to rejoice in God despite of their circumstance. It's, lo- it's when life is challenging that worship truly becomes a choice. You know, it's not an emotional response to some warm, fuzzy feeling inside. I'm sure many of us have heard of the, the Christian songwriter Matt Redman. Uh, probably the most recent sort of popular song that we sing is 10,000 Reasons. He's written many others. Uh, he and his wife Beth, they wrote the song Blessed Be Your Name. Um, and that song and ended up being a book as well. I've got the book here, Blessed Be Your Name. And that song was written, it was birthed out of a time of real difficulty and real suffering for them as a couple. They experienced, I think, three miscarriages in a row. And um, obviously a time of real pain. But this song, as they brought their suffering to God, this is what came out, this song, Blessed Be Your Name. And at the start of this book, they write this. When life is peaceful and painless, the choice to respond to God in thanksgiving and praise may not be such a hard one to make. But at other times in our lives, worship becomes a much gutsier decision. Caught up amidst the whirlwind of pain and confusion, the decision to cry out, yet I will praise you, is a costly act of devotion. In the life of every worshipper, there will come times where worship meets with suffering. In the life of every worshipper, that's all of us. At some point, we're going to face those moments where worship meets the place of suffering. So today we're going to look at three points, and um, hopefully they will all come together and uh, help us to look at worship in the time of suffering. My first point today is true worship is surrender. Uh, When we think about surrendering to God, perhaps we might even think of Lent. We've just started Lent this week, um, and I know a lot of people decide to fast, and they give up something over this season. I saw someone on Facebook the other day said they were going to give up Facebook for Lent. Um, Other popular ones seem to be coffee or chocolate, Um, and if you're doing those, um, all the very best to you. Um... (laughs) that's not something I don't think I could do chocolate but hey hey Um, perhaps when we think of surrender we might consider repentance you know we've already done our confession activity today Um, you know where we give up our sin um, and give over the desires of our flesh and choose to live for God perhaps we think about surrendering to God the idols that we've built up in our lives you know maybe that's a a hobby or a celebrity obsession, a particular band or a football team. True worship means magnifying and lifting God above all things, above every desire and dream. It means to have Christ sitting on the throne of our hearts. And that means that we have to abdicate that throne and allow him to sit on there. Um, Some time ago, I think about 10 years ago, uh, I had something that I had to repent of. I, one of my passions in life is watching films. I love movies. And um, uh, at some stage, I got convicted that I was watching far too many. I was probably watching one a day at least. I used to have a, a membership thing going on at Tankerton Video, which is no longer there, sadly. And uh, yeah, I used to be in there all the time. And um, 
what I realized and what God had convicted me of was that actually I was using those films as a, a way of escaping from the problems that I had in my life. You know, I was, to be honest, I was almost depressed when I was going to work. Um, and I was finding work difficult. And I was just, instead of dealing with my problems, instead of taking my problems to God, I used to escape using films. You know, one area that can often be overlooked when we come to surrender can be our pain, it can be our suffering. You know, it's possible that even our pain can take the place like an idol can on the throne of our hearts. When life throws us challenges, there's a temptation to put on that brave face, you know, to have that British stiff upper lip, and to pull up our socks and keep going. Actually, all of those things are pride. And pride can so easily dictate how we handle ourselves. Often it means we don't go to God with our problems first. Surrendering our pain involves humility. It means being vulnerable. It means relinquishing control. None of those things are easy. Later on in Peter's first letter, in uh, chapter 5, verse 7, and I'm reading this from the ESV, he says this, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love that verse. I love the promise of that. But actually, when we come to God in humility, he gives us the grace that we need. He continues, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And while surrender isn't easy, we can rest assured that we are in his safe and mighty hand. God will give us the grace we need. God does care for us. And he will raise us up at the right time. Well, an indicator of surrendering to God and our need to surrender to God might be our answer to the question of where do we take our problems? Where do we go first? Well, we do often go elsewhere first. I, uh, about, around about 18 months ago, um, Nat, my wife, and I were having a bit of a tough time. Um, our son Jonah... Uh, it was around his first birthday for a good few months, was quite poorly. Um, and pretty much most nights he would be, we'd put him to bed and he'd be sick. And obviously that was quite concerning and eventually started losing weight, obviously very worried about him. And over that period of few months, I was also quite poorly on and off. I think I spent more time being ill than being well. And um, Nat had also just gone back to work after maternity leave, so that was also quite a big adjustment, and it was quite stressful. And got to the point where I was, you know, we were just feeling really stretched and stressed. And uh, one day I, I went to see my mum, and I, you know, you do the thing that all good sons do, you ask your mum for some advice. And I was looking for some practical advice. Mum, how can you help me? What can I do to change the situation? And she simply said to me, why don't you worship? Why don't you worship? And that simple question really changed things for me. It changed the situation. Now, practically, it didn't really help. Not really. But actually, in my heart, things started to change. And I was able to go to God and surrender to him 
and allow him into my situation. So true worship is surrender. Um, as we heard in that quote earlier from Matt and Beth Redman, um, they say about how in the challenging seasons of life, it's a more gutsier decision to worship. So my second point is true worship takes courage and faith. Like I said, it's easy to worship when life is great, but Jesus clearly warns us that following him isn't going to be easy. And the Bible is pretty honest when we read it about the struggles of life. One of our liturgical responses when we say communion, uh, we all say it together, is uh, it is right to give thanks and praise. And that's a direct quote from uh, one of the Psalms. And also, two, well, in the second part of our um, worship series, where Fabian speaks to us from Romans 12. Uh, and in that passage, Paul writes about how we offer, give our lives as an offering. Um, and it says how this is our true and proper worship. And in some Bibles, there'll be a footnote on that, that last bit about true and proper. And the, in the footnote, it will say rational. So worship is both the right thing to do. It's both the logical and rational thing to do. But the reality is when we find ourselves in the darkest of times, when we're facing situations of loss, of illness, of death, the thought of worshipping God can almost feel like the last thing we want to do. I went through a season about five years ago where um, there were some really difficult things going on at the church I was at, um, and lots of things that were quite sad, and my heart was broken. And um, I was at a place where I was just actually angry with God. I was disappointed with God. And I'd wake up on a Sunday morning and go, the thought of going to church, you know, I just I didn't want to go. And this went on for two or three months. And it took a bit of courage and a bit of faith to go. And I had to reflect and decide, actually, no, God, I believe in God and I trust in him. And that's what he wants me to go to church. And I had to believe that. And actually in going, it took many years for my heart to heal, I'll be honest. It wasn't an overnight thing. But God did heal my heart. You know, pain is part of life. And true worship is choosing to put that pain honestly before God and to welcome him into our situations and allow him to shepherd us through the valley. You know, last week we heard Jane was talking to us about the mountains and the valleys. And actually when we're in, the, in those valleys... Do we invite God to be with us and to help us? Are we honest? You know, we have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Prince of Peace, you know, and that he will be true to his promise, that he will always be with us and that he will never leave us. And to know that it is his voice that calms the storms. You know, the way we worship when we're in a difficult season like that might look a little different from how we normally do. And that's okay. You know, the quick, a quick read of the Psalms, and we'll see that worship can be full of sorrow, full of frustration, loneliness, despair. And it's okay for our worship to start from these positions. But we have to have the courage to lean into God and to trust him with those problems. 
You know, choosing to worship during tough times isn't fake. It's faith. You, know, you might not feel like you can sing the songs and say the words on the screen. You know, there might be certain prayers that people say and you might just feel like, I can't amen that. You know, it might just be that simply coming to church and being here is a sacrifice of praise. That alone could be a beautiful offering of worship to God. So true worship takes courage and faith. I love the fact that worship actually, it also gives us courage and faith as we do it. Now, many of the songs that we sing on a Sunday actually have that theme of suffering, of going through the trial. And the things that we declare in those songs, the truths that we proclaim, they give us faith, they give us courage. So true worship is surrender. True worship takes courage and faith. And probably um, my most challenging point is true worship finds joy in a living hope. Peter, uh, in his letter here, and he just, he, when he's talking about the people he's writing to, he says this, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And he goes on to say later, he says, that they are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. How can they be filled with joy? How can they be rejoicing when they have the suffering that they face? You know, in the most difficult of times, there doesn't have to only be pain. With God, you can still find joy. And it's important here to clarify the distinction between happiness and joy. You know, happiness is dependent on our circumstance. And those, our circumstance can change from day to day. You know, from the, for the football fan, it can change from minute to minute. Uh, I uh, took a trip to Gillingham with my dad last week to see the Jills play. There's a picture. And, um, you know, it was this... Yeah, these emotions were just going up and down. And um, at the start of the game, you know, Jills have been doing quite well before this game. Their manager just received manager of the month. So the mood before was good. And the fans were positive. But about when it came to half-time, that positivity had slowly drained away because uh, Gillingham were playing, well, they weren't playing football, they were terrible. And um, they were lucky to be 0-0, and shortly into the second half, uh, they conceded a goal. Um, and obviously, it got even worse for the fans. I was surrounded by some die-hard Jills fans, and they were letting their feelings be known. And, um, and then, for the last 25 minutes, Jill started to play some football, and it was starting to look good, and, but they had many chances, and nothing was going in till the very last minute of the game. A Jill's player was in on goal and he scored. And the, there was pure elation around the stadium. And in the picture, this is just after they celebrated, I couldn't quite get my phone out in time. I was trying to take a picture because the, the player came and celebrated right in front of where I, I was standing. But all the Jill's fans started jumping. They were jumping over and they were running on the pitch and celebrating with the players. And as you can see, the stewards there, there's police there trying to you know, sort them all out. But there was such these waves of emotion going up and down. The happiness, it, it, from one moment to the next. You know, when it was good, they were happy. When it wasn't, they weren't. You know, joy is different from that. It's not the same. Joy is something that we can find even in the toughest, <laughs> toughest of circumstances. But how do we find that joy? 
Well, joy can be found, true joy can be found in the hope that we have for a glorious future. A hope for eternal life with God beyond this one. The start of our reading um, began with these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. One commentary I read um, about this passage, that they rephrased the term living hope to say undying hope. I love that. We have a hope that will never perish. It will never fade. It is always secure. And that is where we can find joy. On this topic, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote this, and he came up with this analogy. He said, think of a man sitting at a table with a pair of scales before him. On one of the scales are his sufferings. The man looks at them and sees that they are very heavy. But then he puts on the other scale the very heavy weight of the glory yet to be. And what seemed so heavy before appears now to be as light as a feather. It is not that it is light in and of itself. It only becomes light in contrast to the far greater weight of the other scale. Now, we don't want to undervalue the pain and the difficulties we face. You know, the reality of our struggles can be really, really hard. But the glory that is to come always outweighs that pain. The reality that we face now is always going to be overshadowed by the reality of the glory that is to come. An eternal life, free from pain, free from sickness, from tears, where there's no suffering, a life in perfect communion with our Saviour. You know, as we begin to view our present sufferings in the light of the glory to come, that is where true worship can find joy in a living hope. So true worship is surrender. It's inviting Jesus to sit on the throne of our hearts. True worship takes courage and faith. And true worship finds joy in a living hope, in an undying hope in the promise of what is to come. How do we put these things into practice? Where do we start? I'd like to offer uh, a suggestion. And true worship often begins with thankfulness. Uh, thankfulness, I guess, is a type of worship. Uh, a great way of acknowledging and recognising our dependence on God is to give him thanks for the things he has done and for what he is doing for us. And it helps us in these three ways, and they kind of tie in with my three points, with surrender. You know, as we begin to thank God for the things he has done for us, it puts us in a position of humility. We can see, actually, for all the things that God does for us, we are dependent on him. It, with the true worship, gives, uh, takes courage and faith. Actually, when we're thankful and we start to list the things that we are thankful for, we can see, actually, God is faithful. And actually, that gives us faith. That gives us the courage to trust him and to lean into him. And finally, when we start to give thanks for the things that he has promised to do, the things that he will do, it helps us to focus and reflect on the glorious hope that we have in Jesus. Why not try it? I invite you to try it 
this week, if you've never done that before. Let's grab a pad and a pen and start listing things that you're thankful for. Start off small and see what happens. Maybe you might even want to share it with a friend and do it with a friend. Do it as a cell group, perhaps. And see how thankfulness can open up our worship. Now, to, to end, normally I would just pray, but today I feel like it would be good to respond in some way. Um, and I want us to, I mentioned earlier about the song, Blessed Be Your Name, and I thought it would be good for us to use these lyrics as a, as a prayer um, and a way of sort of surrendering to God our problems and our pain and to say to him that we are, are still will worship you, even in the storm. So um, what we'll do is I'll read, uh, read it out and in the, in the lines that are in bold we'll say those together. I've put the four verses together and then also we're going to say the bridge and we'll say that all together at the end. I think it would be good, actually, if we do this, um, to stand, and we'll say this together. And I also want to say there's no pressure. If you feel like you can't say this, that's okay. You know, I'd rather you said it, meaning it. Um, and also, before we do this, you know, maybe you might want some prayer today, um, afterwards. And we always have prayer by the cross at the end. So please do take that opportunity. So let's say this. Blessed be your name. In the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, where I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world is all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, where there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Amen.